This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Dara here. All right. Well, I do not like doing this show when giant breaking news tragedies are happening. So I'm going to follow in this uh a horrible, truly horrible story of the the fatalities at the Pittsburgh synagogue. There is uh, uh, nothing new to report. Uh, people have died, and it is horrifying. A whole country feels like a powder keg right now, and I and I don't like it. Um, so we'll we'll break in with news if any any developments happen. Um, but uh, right now, we're going to talk to Dory Greenspan. So this is a, a big deal in my world, right? So I'm a cookbook fanatic. A lot of people are cookbook fanatics. Uh, and I can't think of when I first became Dory Greenspan aware. I think it must have been when her name was on the Julia Child baking book. And I thought, oh, does Julia need someone to to make the sense of this for her. And yes. And then, uh, and then Dory just became a big part of the world, a big part of my world. She wrote the cafe balloon books. Uh, so many, so many cookbooks that she has written. She has changed the way I cook the way a lot of people cook. She writes a monthly dessert column for the New York times magazine these days. And when I saw that she had a new book coming out called every everyday Dory, the way I cook, like the real Dory at home, I flipped over myself trying to book her on the show. I was just talking to Mark Hogan, who runs uh, the Franklin Street Bakery in the green room. He's like, how did you get Dory Greenspan? And I was like, I don't know, but she did. And so <laughs> this is going to be a highlight of my year. Everybody, we are very thrilled to welcome to the show Dory Greenspan. Dory, thanks for being on the show. Oh, I'm so happy to be with you. And I think it would be nice to talk about comforting home cooking on a day like today. I think so. I didn't realize that comfort food was like a concept that sort of was invented. Uh, the phrase had to come about and it was in the 1970s. And I think um, when, you know, I've, I've talked to my mom a fair amount about how you, how did she get through, you know, the RFK assassination, the MLK assassination, that, that period of time. And she just always kind of rolls her eyes and says, like, you just get through what you're handed. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, but I think that the, the rise of comfort food in the 70s is definitely part of it. And, and you know, what can we all do in our, in our homes today except, uh, you know, cook for our loved ones and tell our loved ones we love them and, and try to, you know, keep on the side of right and keep on, right? Exactly. But, you know, it's interesting because I said comfort food and you – talked about it coming about in the 70s, and yet um, comfort food, I, I don't know that there, we all have a food that we that we gravitate to, something that Oh, we I just really mean love. the phrase but, itself, not the comfort food. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I know that. And yet, Dara, I think that really anytime we cook for people and we share what we cook, we share what we make with our hands. That defines comfort food. It can be popcorn. It can be a roast chicken. It can be a fancy cake with candles on it. I think the fact that we share it makes it comfort food. 
Yeah, and that that certainly brings up the rise of the uh, chicken strip and chicken finger restaurant, as we've seen in the last decade. <laughs> There's a generation raised on chicken strips, and they that's what they that's their comfort food, and there there we well, have it. Yeah, it can it can be anything. You know, it's interesting. Um, I've got a recipe in in the new the new book, my new book, Everyday Dory, that I have been making over and over again. And if you had said to me, "Oh, that's comfort food," I would have just said. Oh, that's just delicious. And the recipe is, um, oh, I, I've given all I'm going to guess. Is it the, I'm, wait, I want to guess because this is like a fun okay. game show for me. Is it the butter under the skin chicken in the Dutch oven? No, but it could be. So that recipe, I love that recipe. I love that so recipe. It's, it's roast chicken. Um, I, okay, I'm just going to back up a little bit. In all of the recipes, whenever I can, I try and add a little surprise, something that you just, you know, you see the dish, it might be familiar to you, and then you taste it, and there's something. Or a little trick or a little technique that makes life a little easier in the kitchen. And the um, that chicken has a bunch of things. So I make um, an herb butter. But it could be a spicy butter. It could be a kind of Asian-inflected butter. Up to you. And I put it under the chicken skin, which as soon as a child once said when she was rubbing chicken, rubbing butter on a chicken, um, it's nice for you and it's nice for the chicken too. (laughs) And so so this goes under the skin. The butter goes under the skin so that it's almost a self-based. It is a self-basting bird. And then I put it in a Dutch oven rather than a roasting pan. And the Dutch oven keeps all the juices um, in the pan, and your oven stays clean after you've roasted the chicken because everything happens in that oven. And you get a great kind of natural gravy, a jus, from roasting it that way. And you get color. It's a... That would be a great recipe, but the one I was thinking of is um, the oven charred tomato stuffed peppers. Oh. So the reason I love this dish, let me explain it to you. Peppers, sweet bell peppers, cut in half the long way, hollowed out. So you were going to make, well, it's kind of a, a, a horizontal stuffed pepper, and I make a little breadcrumb mixture. I put... Um, lemon juice and lemon zest and herbs and anchovies in it. You can skip the anchovies if you want to, but I kind of hope you won't. And I put just a spoonful or so of that into the the bell pepper. And then I put halved cherry or grape tomatoes on top of it. Olive oil, lemon, herbs. It is so pretty when it goes into the oven. And it's beautiful when it comes out. And this dish for me, it's kind of the spirit of, of of my new book because it doesn't require any kind of chefy technique. It's an arts and crafts project because you put it <laughs> together with your kids. Um, it's beautiful when it goes in, beautiful and delicious when it goes when it comes out. It's practical. It uses everyday ingredients, and you can make it ahead. You can serve it hot out of the oven, room temperature or warm in between. So it's very versatile. It can be a starter. It can be a side dish. It can be part of a buffet. That's the kind of cooking I really love to do. I like it too. And it's got, it's healthy too. It's got, it's a antioxidant buffet in there with the red peppers and the, all the tomatoes. And you say in the book that this is, you know, some of these recipes are ones you've made 
kind of for yourself while you're laboring over more you know fussy, more complicated books for other people. I am dying to know how you got started in all of this because uh, you know you don't have a lot of origin stories out there on the internet the way other people do. How did you get started? Well, I got started late is how I got started. Um, I got started cooking um, early. I was 19 years old. I hadn't cooked before, and I got married. And so I had to cook. But I was and still am a home cook. I haven't been trained. I didn't go to school. I don't have a restaurant resume. I taught myself to cook and to bake um, at home from really good books. And then... I oh I went to graduate school. I'm all but dissertation for a doctorate in gerontology, which oh. is the study of it. Yeah, the study of aging. And I didn't start writing about food until I was in my mid to late thirties. And I was very lucky because I got a job working on Elle magazine when it just launched in America and it had the most beautiful food pages. And because I spoke French, I got to work with, oh, you name the French chef, and I got to meet him, and they were all hymns at that time. And so I that, I think of that as my apprenticeship, because I got to work alongside all of these wonderful chefs. And I, my first cookbook came out, it was called Sweet Time, and it came out in 1991. Oh. And Everyday Glory is my 13th book. So I got a late start, but I made up for lost time. <laughs> and so you yeah, you yeah. so you had been cooking at home for years. See, that's what I like. I was talking, I've been talking to everybody about you. Uh, if your ears have been ringing. So I was walking around the office and one of my other, my coworkers was like, well, I love her so much. And what I love about her is that the recipes work, right? They're not, um, they're not, oh, yeah. uh, there's some chef books they put in they kind of it's almost like they can't tell you all the steps because it exhausts them to think of it all. And so they just kind of skip over some stuff. And then, of course, the recipe doesn't uh, work out. And your recipes never do that. They always work because is that because of your home cooking background? No, it's because I work at making them work. Oh, <laughs> I, really? I, you know, yes, because I all I want when I write a cookbook is I want people to take it home into their kitchens, make things and feel happy, satisfied. I want them to be successful. So when I'm working on a recipe, I work on it until I think it's just right. And I write it, you know, completely the way I would want it to be in the book. And then I send it off to be tested again, even though I think it's perfect. I always have my recipes retested um, by my tester, Mary Dodd, who's a home cook with two little boys, and make sure that what I've written is understandable, that all the measurements are right. I, it, I, I as, a, a, as a cook who sometimes cooks from other people's books, find it so frustrating to go out to the supermarket, buy all the ingredients, put in the time, get all excited about making a new restaurant um, recipe, and then not to be successful. It's a bad feeling. I yeah. don't want people to feel that way. And a waste of a perfectly good day. Can't have that. <laughs> so, but, t okay, so that's interesting to me because I know there's a lot of pressure on cookbook uh, writers these days to not 
test recipes. We had a, a food blogger come to grief out here, this woman who has this perfect lifestyle, and then she wrote this cookbook, and it had some just actual poisonous recipes in it. And my boss was like, how could it not be on the publisher? Why didn't they test it? And I was like, oh, no, they don't do that anymore. It's up to the, it's up to the writer, right? Well, it is. You know, um, magazines, um, many magazines have test kitchens. Um, many don't. Newspapers used to have test kitchens, but the budget for the test kitchen has been cut in many, many newspapers. And it's always been the writer's responsibility to turn in good recipes. Good editors will often spot check. Um, my editor, whom I adore, this is my fifth book with her, Rux Martin at Houghton Mifflin. She cooks. At some point, I said to her, you know this book better than I do. <laughs> she will cook many, many, many recipes from the books that she um, she publishes. And I'm very lucky because Houghton Mifflin takes very good care of a manuscript. So I have a good editor. I have a copy editor who knows cookbooks and knows food. And then a proofreader. And then the book goes to press, and I get nervous, and I write to my editor. I say, Rux, what if there's a mistake? <laughs> and she writes back, and she says, I've never seen a book that didn't have at least one. That's <laughs> so true. With all, yeah, even with all of that. But it is the author's responsibility to test, 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 and get those recipes right. That's very interesting to me. So what, that was your first cookbook with Rux Martin was? Which no, my, well, my first cookbook with Rux was um, Baking From My Home to Yours. Okay. It came out in 2006. See, I want to talk to you for the rest of the day, but I only have time for one more anecdote. How did you get into the Julia Child baking book? How did that come about? So I met Julia in 1991 when my first book came out. And after I did a demo that consisted of pressing a button on a food processor, she said, <laughs> come and I was too afraid to do anything else, anything more complicated than that. She um, invited me to have dinner with the rest of the presenters, and she said, you'll sit with me. And that first meeting, she said, have you ever seen that Dan Aykroyd skit on Saturday Night Live where he um, imitates me? And I said, no. She said, I'll, do it. I'll do it for you. And she did the entire skit. And we kept in touch after that. And when she and her producer, Jeff Drummond, were about, were planning the PBS series, um, Baking with Julia, they called me and asked me to write the book. And it was an extraordinary experience. I lived in Cambridge and worked with Julia and the team for eight weeks as we filmed the, um, the series and then um, wrote the book. And then kept in touch with Julia all, I mean, we spoke every morning. My name is on her speed dial. On her phone, and I just came from Washington, D.C., and so in the, her kitchen is now in the Smithsonian, and it says Dory G. on her speed dial. Oh, it I'm me, dying. That's so good. It made me cry when I saw it. Oh. She was extraordinary. She extraordinary. was. She did so much for, for all of us, as have you. Dory Greenspan, this has been a, a delight. And everybody, the new book, Everyday Dory, I sat with my 10-year-old daughter last night. We we, lift, we leafed through it all. We decided which ones we're going to make next, which ones we're going to make for Thanksgiving. It is a beautiful book. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
it's been fun being with you. Oh, it's been great. What a delight. I'm going to put you on my speed dial so I have something in common with Julia. You'll, <laughs> you'll rue the day I got your phone number. All right, Dory Greenspan, thank you so much. Thanks, Dara. All right. This is it. We have every oh, I'm like I'm like flushed with joy. Dory Greenspan from her new book is called Everyday Dory, The Way I Cook. I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to come back and give you some Brussels sprouts recipes. And then we're going to have uh, Mark Hogan and talk about Taste of the NFL. Big party in Bloomington tonight. All right. We're about to get an update from CBS News on the, the terrible situation in Pittsburgh. But first, we are going to run through the Brussels sprouts recipes because they're healthy. You wanted them. They're up at the WCCORadio.com website. Looks super good. All right, so what do you do with these little little tiny cabbages that are so delicious? Number one, you can garlic stir-fry them. This is easy. You're just putting garlic in a pan. Garlic and, and Brussels sprouts go together so well. It is a match. It is a good match. And if you're just like a newbie to the whole system, start here. All right, so this is the one that everybody's going crazy about. Different variations of a bacon blue cheese Brussels sprout in restaurants. Because they're delicious. They're salty. They're fatty. They're sweet. This one has a little red pepper in it with it, a red bell pepper. It's good. All right, so charred Brussels sprouts. Takes two steps, but this is actually my absolute favorite way. So first you uh, boil them a bit. Then you chill them. Then you roast them. And that way they're tender inside, and you can get very black and delicious at the edges. So call it a pot-stuck Brussels sprouts or charred Brussels sprouts. If you've got teenagers in the house and they're kind of vegetable afraid, the buffalo Brussels sprouts, very popular. That you're doing, it's like buffalo wings, but it's Brussels sprouts. So you got that hot sauce butter situation. Yum. And then for those of you that are trying to get your Thanksgiving in hand, how about doing a Caesar salad, but with Brussels sprouts? You're going to cut them up very thinly and then... It does not wilt. It's a very sturdy, sturdy as coleslaw. It allows you to put some stuff in the fridge and turn your attention to the rest of the meal. So as always, these are up at WCCORadio.com. It's a good good Brussels sprouts roundup, my friends. If you look at them, you will learn how to make them. And then you're going to be getting your cancer-fighting Brussels sprout properties. You're going to be on the cutting edge. You're going to be able to tell people, I ate 100 cabbages. Look at me. I'm a star. <laughs> That's a Brussels sprout roundup at WCCORadio.com. Dara here. All right. So we're talking about one of my favorite things, which is Taste of the NFL. So you know Taste of the NFL, right? It's uh, how we raise money for Second Harvest Heartland, raise money for hunger, raise money to share the wealth. Some of us, as I like to say, get a lot of cookies. It's not fair because other people don't have any. There's a lot of hunger in the state, um, hunger among seniors, hunger among children. Uh, It's been growing the whole time. And so tonight there is a big party to raise money for hunger charities. It's the Taste of the NFL's Party with a Purpose. It's happening at the Sheraton in Bloomington. That's where the Leela restaurant is. I wrote about that recently. The new chef, Thomas Orbison, is just doing some great things. I'm liking it very much. And guess who's here to talk about all this? Well, we have Mark Hogan from the – oh, he runs the Franklin Street Bakery with Wayne Kostrowski. He used to be the chef at Tejas, probably more 
other chefy things that we have time for. Mark Hargan, w- welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Dara. Thanks. It's nice to be with you. All right. So in your day-to-day life right now, you run Franklin Street Bakery, land of the uh, most famous cornbread in the history of Minnesota, right? Well, we uh, we actually, yeah, the bakery is, uh, is uh, doing wholesale bread. So a lot many, of restaurants. Yeah, in many town. food service operations are all around the country. We, 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 oh, all around yeah, the country. We're, we're, we're delivering bread in about eighteen states right now. Oh, I didn't even realize yeah, that. So some, right out of Franklin. Yeah, restaurants. We do a lot of business with, uh, for instance, Target. They make sandwiches. We supply the bread for that. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And so the the famous uh, Franklin Avenue reconstruction. Uh, had <laughs> the the actual traffic reconstruction of the, had repercussions nationally, not just in our own lives here in uh, the Twin Cities. It's true. It's just been uh, one thing after another as far as traffic patterns go, for sure. It really has been. Uh, just I cannot. I drive through the whole thirty five untangle tangle mess, and I just think, whoa. This is nuts. We live like this. We're going to live like this for years. My kid, my oldest is 12, and he'll just be like, when is this going to be over? I'm like, when you can drive. They're trying to make it nice for you. And right. In a couple of years, you'll get a permit, and then this will this will be worked out. That is off topic. What is on topic, let's talk of the big taste of the NFL dinner tonight. Um, so there's a New Orleans Saints versus Minnesota Vikings game tomorrow. I think a lot of people are prepped for that. But tonight, the big, like, the pre-party you have some celebrities happening there tonight. Well, in keeping with the theme of the Vikings playing the Saints tomorrow, uh, we're doing a dinner at Layla, as you said, and it's uh, we've got the chef from New Orleans, Adolfo Garcia, is coming up, and then our local chef who represents the Minnesota Vikings and Minnesota at the Taste NFL for the past couple of years is Thomas Bamer from Revival and Corner Table. And now in Bloom, and he in is Bloom. he is killing it. Yeah. I went to in Bloom the other day. It's got this. 25 foot live fire hearth so just have you been there yet it's a toasty place for sure Oh my goodness great, great the, items really unusual menu the it's cooks really... that just stand in front of the fire that's the hardest cooking job in minnesota i'll tell you what it looks hot it'll be the best place to be in the winter in minnesota though that's true that's true i saw the, one of the cooks just kept breaking away to like have another can of Lacroix and put in some eye drops. I was like, I feel you, buddy. That's <laughs> that's a that's a hot. But uh, Thomas Bamer, so he's the uh, kind of associated chef of the Vikings. You got the creme de la creme. He's a great chef. He's on the top of his game right now. Great chef. He's a he's a great guy. He's really involved in the community. He is uh, really taken to heart the cause of uh, hunger relief, and he's helped out a lot. And he's he's really game to do anything for the cause. So tonight is the dinner, at, as you said, at Layla. Uh, we've got a, a whole bunch of uh, ex-Vikings play, uh, that'll be there tonight. It'll be sitting at each table. So and that's really neat. If people don't know, what happens is, you know, you go to this dinner, you're having great food, and then you get to take pictures with famous people. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's kind of fun. <laughs> and they'll be sitting at each table, so and they're going to rotate around, and, and so you get to see talk to some of your favorite Ex-Vikings players as well. Carl Eller be there, for instance. Carl Eller. Yeah. I saw people that were just like, really? Can I really go and get my picture taken with Carl Eller? I was like, yeah. yes, you can. And also, it's for a good cause. You should. He's amazing. I, I just want to also say that, you know, in this time when there's so much violence, hatred, vitriol going on in the world, you can still participate and help people by attending things like our event tonight. Also, giving money to the Kick Hunger Challenge. If you go to kickhungerchallenge.com. You can donate money for hunger relief, and you can do it in the name of your favorite team because all the money goes to each of the food banks in the NFL cities. So it's, you know, 
rather than being despairing and so forth, it's nice to still participate and help people. Yeah, because it, you know, talking about this kind of stuff on a day like today, talking about food, it's tough. You know, we, uh, the, the synagogue shooting is, is, uh, horrifying. You know, it, it, it absolutely breaks my heart. It's so hard to just continue to just be like, you know, on the one hand, you don't want to be Pollyanna-ish. On the other hand, you don't want to be full of despair. Like, what is the middle path where you can be a good person, go forward with, you know, energy and compassion and not be either of those two things, be be naive or be nihilistic, right? And so we're in a really tough, we're a really tough place in the culture right now. But these events really do and it may also makes you feel not alone. One of the right. things I like most about them, you go to a big room full of people, all of whom are raising money for hunger. It's a, it feels good to be there. Yeah, it's a good cause. It gives, it gives me hope for sure, and I think it gives a lot of people hope that we can still work together as a society and, and make good things happen. Yeah, and they're fun. We had Adolfo Garcia on the show last week, and he was talking about all the, some of the treats he's going to bring up, the sweet shrimp from the Gulf and the... The new farmed caviar is coming out of Louisiana. There's this good, so it's kind of got all the all the things. You're you're doing good. You're having fun. It, you don't feel lonely, and it's at Lilo, which looks good after the renovation. I must yeah, it's say, a beautiful place, and and uh, the new chef there, Chef Orbison, he's doing a great job. Should be a really fun event tonight. Yeah, it really should be. All right, so that's what we have to say, everybody. There's still tickets available. You can uh, find them at the. The Kick Hunger Challenge or uh, Party with a Purpose, all kinds of places. I can send a – I'll put a link up on my Facebook page. Um, and so this is kind of the kickoff. You're going to be doing all of this. I talked to some of the the Minnesota chefs. I talked to Thomas Bamer, and the crew is going down to Georgia to teach them how to do it, right? Yeah, well, the big event is going to be in Atlanta on February 2nd. That's the Taste of the NFL. It's the 28th year that we've done it. Uh, we've raised over 25 or $6 million so far for hunger relief. And the big event is always in the site of the Super Bowl city the night before the game. It was here last year at the River Center. It was amazing. Yeah, fantastic. We had about 3,000 guests, and it was really fun. Despite the cold and the, and the snow, we still had a great turnout, and people had a great time. I didn't understand how big it was going to be. It's kind of you see all the names, you talk to all the chefs, you don't understand that it's like uh, the state fair. I mean, there's so many things going on. You know, there were taking pictures with people here and, uh, oh, look, it's it's amazing scallop over here. Oh, look, it's a room with uh, cocktails in a chill-out area. Like so much happening. It was so fun. Well, there's a chef from every NFL city who brings us their specialty to their restaurant and in addition, there's several other restaurants that are there. There's uh, some local restaurants. There's the Taste, uh, there's the uh, Hall of Fame restaurant, and you know it's the party with a purpose. It's been the biggest premier event at the Super Bowl for the last 28 years. It's pretty amazing. It is. I don't know how you top last year, but I think the people in Georgia will be excited to see how you do it. <laughs> All right, Mark Haugen, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us about Taste of the NFL, the big dinner tonight at Leela or at the Sheraton in Bloomington. It's very cool. Thanks for having me, Dara. All right, we come back. We're going to have the typical Ask Me Anything segment. I will answer your questions. Got anything for me? Text me, 81807, or you can find me on the Twitter bot. I am at Dear Dara, or find me on Facebook, Dara.Grumdahl. And wherever you put a question, I will then answer it when we come back. Dara here. All right, so 
Oh, this is a good show. Even though we're we're doing this in the midst of of the tragedies, I I have found myself here a few times over the years, and it's uh, it's difficult, difficult. So I my thoughts and prayers are with the people of of Pittsburgh. What a what a what a waste of life and energy and time. What a what an act of cowardice. Uh, just horrifying. These are not American values, and this is a, a anti American gesture and. A, a horrible crime, and I, I sort of it over it overcomes me, and I know it overcomes you. Anything you say is not good enough, and not saying anything is not good enough. So it's just horrible. All right, but on the other hand, here we are, and we can care for each other, and we can make a better life. And so now I go to the ask me anything questions. Uh, so the question is: Are I got one question? Are the little round things in a can of salmon edible? I threw it away. I'm going to guess little round things. You mean the uh, the bones? You mean the, the, the spine bones? So salmon cannery, they can all of it. They can the skin. They can the bones. Yes, it's edible. Maybe not delicious. You make your own choices. My, uh, my grandma used to eat them. She used to say that they were good for you, full of calcium. But I tend to pick them out because I'm a, from a weaker generation. Where we where we don't, I don't know. If you got a cat, they can get in on this action. All right, I got a great question. Love your show, thank you. Is there one or two basic skills cookbooks you would recommend for a new bride who does not yet cook, like how to use herbs and spices and all that? You know, the internet is so full of things. I used to I used to recommend a few really basic cookbooks. I love the old Craig Claiborne New York Times cookbook. That is just because it's got all the basics and the joy of cooking. But I think that now the best thing to do if you're totally new to cooking is to pick a couple of dishes that you would like to eat and then master those. So if it's, uh, you know, we are just talking with Dory Greenspan earlier about this very basic, you take a chicken, you butter it all up all over with a herb butter and you put a you know squeeze some lemon on it then you put it in a dutch oven and then you roast it that is a life skill and then when you learn how to do that you have that for your whole life and i can think of a couple more like those oh a uh, um popovers my daughter we tried to make popovers in the blender a couple months ago and it we were it was it's the easiest thing in the world to do so we were successful now she does it all the time and and those kind of basic things she will be making popovers uh, forever i think uh, because they're delicious and quite easy to do so my my advice is if you're looking for a gift maybe something like that maybe give someone a, a popover pan and a your favorite recipe in the card. You know, like that's a, a skill that can go with you forever. All right. So I got a recommendation for um, bigger, bolder baking. Oh, that's a good recipe. I got a, a good cookbook. I've seen it. I've never used it. So I maybe I'll check it out. Got a question about uh, can you just substitute frozen berries for fresh berries in a pie the pr- only thing I have to say about frozen berries, they have good flavor, but they can kind of emit a lot of liquid in the cooking process. So when I use frozen berries, I like to use something that has either, you know, some way for the moisture to get out. So it's a cobbler, so there's little gaps all around, or it's lattice topped. You're, you're one danger when you're substituting frozen berries 
for your fresh is that you may end up with too much liquid. So think about that. Nothing wrong with a good cobbler. Nothing wrong at all. All right, I got a question. Uh, a Girl Scout troop leader is wanting to know where, how to volunteer, where to volunteer for food-based stuff. Oh, you know, remember last year we had the Loaves and Fishes charity on? Loaves and Fishes is a real food-focused uh, charity that has, you know, free lunch or free dinner spots throughout the metro, and they have a really groovy website registration so you can kind of just pop on and look for a space that'll work for your Girl Scout troop. Um, I'm not, I don't exactly know the ages, but I know that that's a fantastic charity. It's called Loaves to Fishes, and, and we should have them on before Christmas. They do so much great work. Um, I volunteered to to help cook and get everything together for a, a evening dinner and then help serve, and it really opened my eyes. You forget you're in your little bubble, you know, who else is in the world and how much need there is and how much you can do to help. So and if you're just, uh, you know, looking to, you don't need a whole troop. You can just be one individual. So that's Loaves and Fishes. Great Minnesota charity. All right, looking for a, a Minnesota beverage to bring to a family in Iowa. That would be a hard beverage. Uh, what, do, what do I recommend? Well, I do kind of love the Aquavit boom that has been happening in the Twin Cities. You get used to what you see around here, and then you forget that the whole rest of the country is not having an Aquavit boom. I've been traveling a bunch lately, and I do not see the artisanal Aquavits. That makes me think you should go to your liquor store and pick up something like the Gamle Ode. That's a good one. And what do you do with Aquavit? You can drink it straight. But there's a whole bunch of cocktails nowadays. People are really doing that. And so Aquavit, if you don't know, that's a, a Swedish heritage beverage or, we, or Scandinavian heritage beverage with a bunch of herbs. And uh, often we'll have anise flavors or, or different things. But the Minnesota ones are, are really good. So Gamliode is probably my favorite. They have a dill Aquavit that's just wonderful. You can... Um, drink it straight up, or you can put it in some tomato juice for a little Bloody Mary. So I think you should put that in your car and drive that and give it to your gift as a gift to your family in Iowa. That'd be fun. All right, I got a question. What do I think of canned biscuits? I do not like them, Sam. I am. I do not like them in a train. I do not like them in a plane. I want to like them because they're. I like the way the can pops open. It sounds so good. But I have in my snootiness become kind of a very uncomfortable with that flate, that weird aftertaste, that that kind of chemically aftertaste. And if you can actually make biscuits, that's a skill. Come on. I love you make some biscuits. That's a that's something you can tell your grandkids. And fresh biscuits are delicious. And they don't, you know, it's a, what is it? Flour and butter. It's not too, you know, too exotic. I think if you like biscuits, Learn how to make them. It's very cool. I will. You'd have my respect. Everybody in the neighborhood will come by. It'll be good. That's that's my that's my thought there. All right, uh, I got one more question. Maybe are there any hot pot restaurants in the Twin Cities? Why, yes, yes, there is. There's a little Szechuan on University, right by the Capitol. You never had a hot pot. That's kind of fun. They the restaurant provides you with the broth. And then you kind of order the other things to put on and, and you just sit there and you toss something into the broth and it cooks and you fish it out and eat it. And it's very social, very fun. There's a couple of those, you know, there's a hot pot restaurant by 
the Capitol and St. Paul and University, Little Sejuan. And then there's Hoban and Uptown, which has the grills and the tables. That's a Korean place. And they bring, you know, same thing. You have the grill. They bring you the raw meats. You cook it in front of you. They're social, very fun to do. I walked by Hoban the other night, and there was a line out the door. And I was like, finally. I thought that place wasn't going to make it because it had been kind of sleepy when it opened. But I think the word has spread. You go there, get bacon. And you could get this bacon. They just bring you a tray of bacon and you cook it in front of you. What's not to like? That's Hoban in Uptown at Minneapolis. All right, so next week we're starting the Thanksgiving countdown. We'll get your do-ahead recipes. We're going to get the scoop on this uh, ballot legislation that's happening in Minneapolis to get cocktails in more places. Till then, may your donuts be fresh, but your teenagers quite polite. And I'll see you here next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.